Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, what a great job. I uh, was reminded that uh, when I was talking about my lack of rhythm and my football coaching, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but uh, maybe you'll get a chuckle out of it. Uh, the, uh, I was coaching seventh grade team, and it was my first team to coach, my first game to coach. I was real nervous, and uh, the boys were really nervous, and uh, they were seventh graders. And seventh graders, the girls were all this tall, and the shortest cheerleader was bigger than my biggest player. They were all down here. And uh, they had made a sign, supposedly for the team to run through, and they had poles that looked like telephone poles. They were actually about two-inch dowel rods. And uh, they'd made this sign, and so uh, after we had a team prayer, that was back when you could do that, and I said, okay, guys, the cheerleaders have made you a sign, and you need to go run through it. And so they ran over there, and the cheerleaders were fired up. They were going to run through the sign. And someone had taught the girls, the cheerleaders, to make their sign out of a bed sheet. (laughs) So what happened was that the cheerleaders netted my entire team. And they're in there flouncing around, and uh, it was... It was pretty funny, but then it went downhill from there. Uh, Hopefully this message will not go downhill from there. Uh, We're going to be looking in uh, uh, Matthew 18, and um, we're going to be talking about discipline. Now, discipline is not just a real happy subject. I think that's why Pastor Scott left town this weekend. Uh, But... uh, uh, we're talking about crazy love, and it's part of the crazy love. If, if someone is disciplined in love, then that's a whole lot better than being disciplined out of hate or anger or rage. Uh, and, uh, but I want to set the, uh, the stage for you, set the context of uh, this teaching. Uh, our focus is going to be on Matthew 18, uh, verses 15 through 19. But all of chapter 18 is tied together here. And the disciples were, uh, were fussing around being immature like they would. And they were all around Jesus and said, tell us, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And, you know, they're thinking, it might be me. And uh, so Jesus needed to set them straight. And they'd had other discussions. Even some of their mothers had gotten involved wanting one of their sons to sit on his right hand and one on his left hand. They didn't have a good concept of what the kingdom of God was like. They were still kind of clinging to the idea that this was going to be an earthly kingdom. Uh, And so uh, in response to this question in the first part of chapter 18 of Matthew, Jesus took a small child, and you can see I brought some help with me. I didn't expect a small child to sit through this because I'm going to be a little more long-winded than Jesus was. And uh, so uh, I got some Cabbage Patch dolls up here. You talk about a great way, a great idea to make money. Now, some of you don't know what a Cabbage Patch child is, or, uh, but 
there they are, and they cost a fortune. Uh, they did when they were in demand. And no one, none of the, none of the uh, toy stores had them. And so you had to scramble around and uh, connect with friends, and sometimes someone would buy several and then share with their friends. Uh, but, uh, you know, everyone had to have one. And so uh, my kids, when they left home, they didn't want theirs. And so I, don't, I had Pat drag them out of the closet for me last night. Just as a reminder that Jesus put a child in their midst to help them understand. And he had some points here, okay, with their question. The first point was that you've got to have a childlike faith. If you don't have a childlike faith, then you're not going to get to the kingdom much less be the most honored guest there. And then he talked about a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one of them was missing and he left the 99 to go find the stray, still with the child in the midst. And then he talked about discipline. Now this is going to be a real exciting topic, especially for our children and students that are here. Uh, at, because I'm going to share with you a little bit about my last three whoopings. Very memorable for me. And uh, some of you are going to remember some of the discipline that you received. And, and uh, some, of them are, some of you are going to wonder, what's that all about? Because it's, it, it bordered on what would be considered abuse today, I think. Um, and then after all that, Peter came to Jesus about verse 20 and said, what about this forgiveness stuff? Do I have to forgive seven times, like it says in the scriptures, or are you gonna release us from that? And Jesus said, no, you're gonna have to forget 70 times seven. So there's a lot of grace that needs to be dispensed in this, uh, in this message as we talk about conflicts, and we've all had conflicts. Now, the, the children, the Cabbage Patch Kids are just here for uh, just a reminder to you that Jesus had put a child in their midst. Now, it's very memorable for me, my last three whoopings. Now, some people would call them whippings, but we, we had whoopings. Okay? I've got to preface this with letting you know that I was blessed with great parents. They never disciplined out of rage or hate or anger. It was always love, but it wasn't especially gentle, okay? Uh, they held to the uh, uh, belief that if you spared the rod, you'd spoil the child, and that's from Proverbs. It's the truth. And uh, I was about 12 years old. I don't remember exactly, but that's pretty close because my mother looked it up at me one day and said, you need a whooping go get the belt. And the way discipline was administered at my house is the parent got the belt and doubled it over, held the buckle, didn't hit with the buckle. There wasn't any metal studs or anything in the belt. They'd take the child's left hand and their left hand and they'd go to hitting and we'd go to running and <laughs> screaming and hollering and crying for grace and mercy. But there wasn't a whole lot to be had there. It was always administered in love and uh, 
uh, and not hatred or rage. Always correcting. Not everyone is blessed with the same type parents as I had. Now, mother is going on to her reward and uh, daddy is going to celebrate his 90th birthday this August. So, uh, uh, great, great heritage that I'm blessed with. But uh, she said, go get the belt. So I got the belt. And she took my left hand and her left hand and she just wore herself out. And I just stood there in one spot, hardly felt it. And she was panting and out of breath and bent over and trying to catch her breath. And I made a terrible mistake. I looked down at that little woman and I laughed in her face. Yeah, you know what's coming next. She pointed a finger up at me and said, you will not laugh when your daddy gets home. And you know what? She was very prophetic. I did not laugh. Now, I told you I remember my last three. I know I got it, but for some reason, I've blocked out of my memory my daddy's whooping for me that day, probably because it was so severe. Um, We were not real strong in going to church. We weren't strong in the Word, but uh, looking back on it, he was uh, teaching me uh, from Exodus chapter 20, where amongst the Ten Commandments, there's one that says, honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land. And I got the reverse lesson there. I thought for sure if I did not honor, do a better job of honoring my mother, I might not live long, okay? So the last whooping I ever got, the last corporal punishment I ever got from my parents, my mother said, go get the belt. I got the belt and she took my left hand and her left hand and she started started in on me and I started running and screaming and hollering and I even worked up a couple of tears. It didn't hurt any more at all than the first weapon that I told you about. But I gave her her proper respect and, uh, and then she laughed at me, said put the belt away because she knew it was all a big put on. But uh, Conflicts can be tough, and uh, um, it's, it's tough sometimes to have conflicts in the family. It's tough to have con- conflicts in the church family. And in these passages of Scripture we're going to recite today, there's instruction on how to handle that conflict within the family. Um, there's a, again... Remember, we're talking about crazy love. We're talking about the love that God has for us and how he wants our love and our relationship with one another to be healthy and strong so that we can have great fellowship with the Father. Uh, There's a slide here. uh, It says, conflict can be a pathway to better relationships. You act how you know until you know how to act. That day when my daddy got home, I learned how to act, okay? I'm hopeful that today we're gonna learn 
not from a belt, but from the word of God, how to act, how to act, how to respond when we come in to a conflict. And I used to think uh, terms like uh, personality conflict or, uh, was, was an excuse until I had one. Sometimes there's real, genuine conflicts that have to be worked through. We've all had them. We're all going to have them because there's going to be some times when we are offended personally and there's going to be some times when we're offended because someone has poor doctrine. And these instructions can help in either situation. Uh, so we need to know how to deal with it. Instead of uh, avoiding the situation like so many do, they'll have a conflict and uh, maybe if I avoid it, it'll go away, but that seldom happens. Sometimes we react and, uh, and we let pride and arrogance get in the way. Sometimes instead of going to the person that has offended us in some way, we, uh, we gossip about them. Are we, uh, are we share prayer requests? Uh, Baptists don't gossip. They might share a request or two. Okay? That's, that's out of bounds. Um, sometimes we will build up a dysfunctional support group instead of dealing with it properly. Jesus taught us how to deal with it in love, to achieve unity. There's a, our next slide. Who you are comes out under pressure. Sometimes pressure will bring out who we are and what my desire for myself and for you and for the church is for us when we come under pressure that we put our best foot forward because it's important, because there's people that are watching us and they know that, hey, Wyatt goes to church down there. He's one of the leaders, and he didn't handle that very well. Or you can put your own name there. I go to ch he goes to church, or she goes to church, and she hadn't learned anything yet. So we need to learn this and not only learn it, but apply it to our lives. Um, so Christ took time to direct us, give us instructions. Um, before we read Matthew 18, 15 through 19, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are so awesome, so wonderful, so full of grace and mercy, and you've given us such great wisdom to know how to handle conflict Father, help us not to do it in trial and error, but help us to do it according to your word. I pray, Father, that you would help me as I communicate these truths from your word, that they would be understandable, that they would be applicable, that uh, you would, through this time of teaching, through this time of proclamation, that you would transform us into the image of your son that we might have a brighter light, that we might have 
better fellowship, that we might have better unity as we try and strive to fulfill your great commission to impact not only this community, but the communities around us and to the uttermost parts of the world. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, help us in such a way that you would bring great glory to yourself. And we ask it in the strong name, the life-changing name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if we could have that passage up on the screen, that would be great. Uh, This is Matthew chapter 18, when he's talking about childlike discipline. And he's talking about the discipline that the church would have for someone that steps out of bounds. If another believer sins against you, go in private and point out the offense. If the person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am here among you. Um, This is the way to handle conflict with another believer. Sometimes we confuse the instructions that God gives us in his word that, and we expect an unbelieving person, someone who has not accepted the grace that's been extended to them through Jesus Christ, we expect them to act the same way a believer acts. And that's a misconception. We don't need to expect people to act like Christians who have not yet come to know Christ. So this is only applicable within the church. This only applies to people who are your brother and sister in Christ. And as you uh, go through this, you need to have a time of self-examination. You need to look into your innermost self and decide, hey, is the problem that person or is the problem me? If the problem is you, then you have responsibility. In other places, uh, uh, in Matthew even, uh, in Matthew 7, uh, he, uh, Jesus is recorded telling us about um, the person that would have uh, uh, a friend that had a speck in their eye, and he was, tr- uh, he was trying to get it out, but the guy that was trying to help the guy with the speck had a big old log in his eye. So we gotta clean ourselves up first before we go to correct someone else. Also, in the scriptures, in uh, uh, chapter 5 of Matthew, there's an account about a man that has uh, come for, to give an offering to worship the Lord. And he realizes as he's at the altar to make his offering that, uh, that his brother, his brother in Christ, has something against him. 
The instructions there are to leave the offering and then go and make amends with that brother. Okay? So it's a, it's a sword that cuts both ways. What he's trying to get across to us is that our relationships with one another are vital if we're going to have the right fellowship with the Lord. If we've, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have that relationship. He says he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. We are always that child. When my children were disobedient and I had to discipline them, uh, I was a little gentler than my folks, but uh, that's all right. We still got it across. And Pat did a great job raising our kids, but then... I must have fallen short because one turned out to be a lawyer and the other was Aggie. So, uh, you know, go figure. But uh, no offense to the Aggies in the congregation. Uh, but uh, uh, our relationships with one another and our fellowship with one another impacts our fellowship with the Lord, how we get along, how God blesses, how he directs us, how he uses us in his kingdom. So, the first step is self-examination. You look to see, am I really a believer? Is the person that's offended me really a believer? If they are my, your brother or your sister in Christ, then you can move on. But you still have to do some self-examination. Is it some, you know, we all have a past and we all have some drama in our life. And there's times when uh, things haven't gone well. I know you've had a bad day at times and you come home to your spouse and, and you kind of take, take it out on your spouse or your kids or the dog, okay? We don't need to bring our drama into a situation that's already tough, okay? So we examine ourselves to see if it's our problem. We examine it to see if it's our own drama, our own past, our own baggage, uh, our own circumstances, um, and not only, it, it could be that there's a, uh, uh, not a problem with uh, personal interaction where someone sinned against you. It could be a doctrinal issue, and this, these passages can work the same. I'll give an example of that uh, later on in our time. Uh, but uh, we need to remember that, you know, if this is just a short, just a small infraction, we need to remember what Jesus told Peter. No, seven times forgiveness is not enough. You need to forgive 70 times seven. And that's not looking for a hard and fast number. That's, you just need to forgive and forgive and forgive. We're not talking about keeping score and getting down to 490 times and then I don't have to forgive anymore. What if God quit forgiving you after 490 times? I'd be in big hurt. And so would you. Okay. And then you've got to come back after all that self-examination and say, does there need to be some grace? Or it might be that I'm the problem and I need to fix me. I need to get the log out of my eye. Uh, we've got uh, another slide here. I am doing, the, this is what you need to ask and make sure that it's right. Am I doing the right thing the right way for the right reason with the right love? It's got to be to restore unity, the fellowship of the believers, 
And it's got to be done in love. It may require some gentleness. It may require some fir- a firmer hand. But it needs to be done in love. And if you find that you are the problem, then uh, Pastor Scott uses a, sca- a saying. It's on the next slide. Eat crow while it's warm. Okay? Cold crow. A crow is hard enough to eat anyway. But if it's cold, it's a dose, okay? If you realize you've offended someone, that you've fallen short, address it right now. Because it'll just fester. It'll just rot. It'll just give trouble, more trouble later on. All right, so the first step is self-examination. The second step is go to the person in private. Now, this is not a time to, to build up a support group. This is not a time to uh, uh, gossip about someone and uh, disguise as prayer. It's not about going and getting a pound of flesh. It's about going to that person and changing that relationship back to the way it should be with love and achieving unity. Uh, let me just say, uh, Christ didn't have this... Uh, temptation while he was here Uh, but I'll just tell you email is the wrong way to deal with conflict okay more times than not an email in a conflicting situation is going to make it worse okay because you can send me an email uh, and it might not be something bad but I might you know if my spirit's not right I might not take it in the right way we're dealing with fellowship. Email's great for conveying facts and information and orders and such as this, business. Or if it's very obvious that you're communicating love and appreciation, that can work. But if you're trying to, res- if you're trying to confront someone about a sin or a transgression against you, an email is the wrong way to go because they will read into that stuff you didn't imagine you were writing. So just refrain from that. That's a very last resort. And uh, uh, you need to go directly to them. If, uh, uh, and I will tell you, if you come to me with a complaint about someone, I can tell you what my response is going to be. I'm going to say, you know, you're in the wrong office or you're with the wrong guy, unless it's against me. I will go with you to that person. It's getting it a little out of order, but they need to go to that person and tell them about the conflict. They need to go to that person in love and establish a a path to unity. The goal is always to restore and to agree, even if you agree not to agree. You agree to disagree. Um, There's uh, more about this uh, in God's Word in Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 3. If we could have that up on the screen, let's read these three verses. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burden and in the way... And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Now, that's 
the word of God. That's not me. Don't get mad at me. Okay? Problem is sometimes when we go to help someone out of a difficult situation, we fall into their, their sin trap. Um, in a church in East Texas that I served for 12 years, there was a family in that community that was very God-centered, and they had one of their sons that fell into uh, a trap, uh, a trap of, of drugs. And he had victory over that, but he still had a heart to teach the folks that he had been running with about Christ. So he went back into the drug culture, not as a user to start with, and he tried to communicate Christ to them. He fell back into the trap of using drugs, and he was found dead in a vacant lot one day. And the family had much to, much to mourn over. Don't fall into the trap of the people you're trying to help correct. Step three is to take one or two others with you. If the first two approaches haven't brought the fellowship back together, haven't, hasn't restored the unity, then you take another step and you take one or two with you. And you do this with the same purpose, to restore unity. It's not, you don't choose these people just because you think they agree with you. If you're doing this right, you haven't gossiped about it, you haven't laid this burden on someone else yet, but you take people that are wise and can divide the word of God correctly and can give wise counsel. You take them with you and you talk about the situation um, and be willing to accept their counsel. Uh, you need to avoid arrogance and strive for unity at every turn in love. Now, the fourth step is to take it to the church. I've only seen one time where it was prudent to take it to the entire church body. And that was after we had gone to a person with some more witnesses, not once, but twice. And I'll share this with you, but this taking it before the whole church body is not the, not the best thing. If you can handle it with uh, a staff member, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, someone that you both respect and love, then that is m much better than taking it to the entire congregation. Okay? Um, when I was in Singapore, this was a church running about 1,100 in worship. We had three services. We had all kinds of other ministries, women's ministry, uh, English as a second language, uh, a Sunday school, Awana, children's choirs, you name it. And there was one person that was very active. It was a lady, and she was extremely gifted and talented. Everybody wanted her to be on their team. And she was on a lot of them. She was teaching children, preschoolers, young adults, older adults, students. And uh, 
and just on and on in all kinds of different venues. And she was very well spoken, very well read. But it came to our attention that she was teaching a poor doctrine, a false doctrine. She was teaching a doctrine of health, wealth, and prosperity instead of teaching the doctrine of Jesus Christ, grace through him, uh, through faith. And so this was a very popular message in Singapore, which was a very uh, um, wealthy community. And so they liked to hear health, wealth, and prosperity because it made them feel good about themselves because they had a lot of wealth. It came to our attention that she was doing this, and so the pastor and I went to see her, and she said, you're right, I I'm sorry, I'll quit doing this. Her statement did not line up with her actions. While she said she would stop teaching a prosperity theology, she continued to do so. So the pastor and I had to go back to her again. We had to forgive her for her misstatement, go back and try to seek understanding and unity. And at that point, she said, nope, I'm right, you guys are wrong, I'm gonna keep on teaching what I'm teaching. That was the one time that I think it was important that it go before the whole church. And the pastor just stood before the church, all three congregations, all three services rather, and called her out by name and said she will not teach in a preschool situation, children, student, adult, anywhere under the authority of the church. So we had to treat her as if she were uh, a pagan or a tax collector and put her out from the church. But that is the last resort. And, and it's the only time I've ever seen where it was fitting and, and where we just had to bring it before the entire congregation. It's not the best thing, it's not the ideal situation because what we're trying to achieve at each turn is to come back together in love and in unity uh, so that we can greater, so that we're more prepared to fulfill the great commission that Christ has given to us. The goal is always restoration. And as we talk about treating someone as a tax collector or a pagan, we need to remember that God loves tax collectors and pagans. His son died on the cross for them, just like he died on the cross for me and you.